From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome. Thanks for making Washington Watch a part of your day. Well, coming up on this Wednesday edition, earlier this month, Senator John Kennedy of Louisiana asked President Biden's Attorney General Mary Garland about the AG's memo targeting parents who were showing up at school board meetings opposing mask mandates and LGBTQ policies. The memorandum was aimed at violence and threats of violence against a whole host of school personnel. It was not aimed at parents making complaints to their school board. And if it came in the context of a whole series of other kinds of violent threats uh, and violence against other public well, officials. Well, well, an interim report from the House Select Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government was released yesterday. It was focused on the AG's memo. The report states that after reviewing the material submitted to the committee as a result of subpoenas, they had to subpoena the various agencies to get the information, but this was their finding. Quote, it is apparent that the Biden administration misused federal law enforcement and counterterrorism resources for political purposes, end quote. We'll talk with Montana Congressman Matt Rosendale about it in just a moment. And this announcement from the Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell today. Events in the banking system over the past two weeks are likely to result in tighter credit conditions for households and businesses, which would in turn affect economic outcomes. It is too soon to determine the extent of these effects, and therefore too soon to tell how monetary policy should respond. As a result, we no longer state that we anticipate that ongoing rate increases will be appropriate to quell inflation. That was announced as the Fed raised the rate a quarter percent today. What impact will the rate hike have on the economy and the troubled banking industry? And uh, will this news be a factor as Republicans seek to rein in government spending? We're going to talk with Congressman Buddy Carter, a member of the House Budget Committee, a little later here on Washington Watch. Also, an announcement earlier today that Newsmax has reached an agreement with DirecTV and will be returning to the cable lineup. I talked to Chris Ruddy, CEO of Newsmax, after the announcement uh, earlier this afternoon, and he was very grateful for all of those who weighed in with AT&T and DirecTV. Another example of what we can do when we work together. And speaking of breaking news, earlier this week, All Israel News reported that two members of the Israeli Knesset introduced a measure that would have made it a crime for Christians to share the gospel in Israel. The punishment actually included prison time. Well, earlier today, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu tweeted in both Hebrew and English the following, quote, we will not advance any law against the Christian community, end quote. We're going to talk with CBN Middle East Bureau Chief Chris Mitchell from Jerusalem a little later on this edition of Washington Watch. And finally, Chinese President Xi Jinping wrapped up his three-day visit with Russian President Vladimir Putin in Moscow today. Xi's parting words to Putin through an interpreter were this, quote, change is coming that hasn't happened in 100 years, and we are driving this change together, end quote. So what does that mean? Asian expert Gordon Chang will join us later here on this edition of Washington Watch. We'll also get our own general's take on the significance of the meeting. Retired Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin will be here later on Washington Watch as well. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you miss anything, be sure and visit the website, TonyPerkins.com. It's a great place to send friends that don't have a station that airs Washington Watch. 
can watch the program every day at TonyPerkins.com. And by the way, we've discussed many times acts of hostility against churches and Christian ministries on this program. It's something that's on the rise all across America. People of the Christian faith are being censored, marginalized, and even punished for expressing their biblical faith. Now, make no mistake, our faith is under fire. And I have a question for you. Will you stand with us in advancing religious liberty and encouraging believers to stand firm in the public square for biblical truth? Now, this week, you have an opportunity to stand with us financially. I ask you to pray for us, but also you can stand with us financially. In fact, your gift will have triple the impact, up to $100,000, thanks to a special match put forward by generous friends of FRC. To make the most of this opportunity, simply text the word FAITH to 67742. That's FAITH to 67742. Our word for today comes from Lamentations 2, verse 14. Your prophets have seen for you false and deceptive visions. They have not exposed your iniquity to restore your fortunes, but have seen for you oracles that are false and misleading. As Jeremiah stood amid the ruins of Jerusalem, this was Exhibit A in the Lord's charge against the false prophets. The self-serving prophets misled the people, saying, Nothing is wrong. Keep doing what you're doing. Peace is in the forecast. Well, their lies and deception kept the people from repenting and rediscovering God's peace and provision and led to the destruction of their city. The false prophets, however, would have had no influence on the people if the people had not listened to them. People listen to false prophets because they want to be affirmed in their sin, not challenged with the truth. They love and knowledge of the Word of God are the best defense against false prophets. To find out more about our reading plan, go to frc.org Bible. When Republicans took control of the House of Representatives in the 118th Congress, among their first actions was establishing the Select Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government. We've seen many cases of the Biden administration, particularly Attorney General Merrick Garland and his Department of Justice, weaponizing the federal government to target the left's political opponents. Well, yesterday, this subcommittee released a report on Attorney General Garland's October 4th 2021 memo, finding the Biden administration, quote, misused federal law enforcement and counterterrorism resources for political purposes. Here with me now to discuss this and more, Congressman Matt Rosendale. He's a member of the House Freedom Caucus, the Veteran Affairs Committee, and the Committee on Natural Resources. He represents the 2nd Congressional District of Montana. Congressman Rosendale, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you, Tony, for having me on. It's great to see you again. Good to see you. Um, let me just ask you right out of the, the gate here. Are you surprised the subcommittee's findings on this memo from the attorney general? I'm not. Uh, I think this demonstrates, though, to people across our country that how fortunate we are that Mayor Garland is not sitting on the Supreme Court bench right now, uh, because that was what was proposed under the Obama administration. And then he would be making these decisions for life. Right now, as problematic as this is, at least we can we can assume that uh, as soon as the Biden administration term has ended, that Merrick Garland's term also went. But clearly, uh, this was an anti-parent memo that he put out uh, on a manufactured issue uh, strictly to intimidate parents and citizens across our country uh, from participating in their children's upbringing and their education. And, and to keep them from participating in, in the uh, in the public process, 
And, and so I'm, I'm disappointed, but I am not shocked at all uh, at the facts that have been exposed uh, by the committee. And uh, this, again, shows that the 118th Congress is going to be doing a lot of investigation and oversight and then showing the American people with hard data, with facts, what has really been uh, taking place under the Biden administration. You know, Congressman, I was uh, I've read through the entire report and I found it interesting that the, the the Biden administration, the Department of Justice, when they sent out this memo, the feedback they got from their own people was, hey, uh, some of our local law enforcement don't like this. They feel like this is a uh, uh, a problem. They need to leave the local school boards alone. Yeah, I mean, to actually start uh, utilizing federal resources to conduct surveillance on parents because they want to go in and participate in their children's education and what curriculum they are going to be exposed to, uh, that is really a major problem. Meanwhile, again, Tony, we sit here and, and, and look at the the double standard that continues to be used. And while Merrick Garland was saying that uh, we were had to be concerned about parents and what they were doing uh, participating in these school board activities, uh, he stood by silently and allowed federal judges to be intimidated and protested against to try and change opinions uh, when it came to the Roe v. Wade decision that was leaked out early. And we saw the, the throngs of people that protested up and down the sidewalks in front of the justices' homes, uh, not to mention the one gentleman that they picked up and, and literally had the intent of uh, assassinating uh, one of the judges. Right. Uh, th- this, is, this is frightful. Well, it, it, we've seen the attacks on these uh, care pregnancy centers and other pro-life organizations. And, I mean, we're, we're reaching up to, uh, I think, the, getting close to 100 of those attacks. And, you know, we're not seeing anything done by the Department of Justice. Now, there have been multiple requests from both the House and the Senate for the attorney general to uh, rescind his memo. He's refused to do so. Why do you think he's so defiant? Because they see that they can get away with it, Tony. It's unfortunate. They've also requested like 350 documents uh, that they haven't been able to get. The House uh, committee has requested like 350 documents. They've received like 14 pages out of the 350 pages of information that they're trying to receive. And Merrick Garland and this administration just feels like they can uh, continue to conduct their activities without any kind of recourse whatsoever. And, and and this is, again, what the American people are seeing, and it's giving them so much um, calls for concern because they see the double standard. They see that we are exposing all these problems, that we see violations of law literally taking right. place. And the Department of Justice, we expose them for participating in, in some of these activities, and they're the people that are supposed to charge and prosecute, and, and it's very difficult to expect uh, the Department of Justice to charge and prosecute their their own people. Uh, Congressman Rosendale, I mean, it, it is the first step is exposing this to show the problem. I mean, we we all we kind of knew it was there. We, we we see how this this administration operates, but now as we have the evidence that they were operating for political purposes, what can be done? As you just pointed out, the Department of Justice. They're not going to prosecute their own people. The Biden administration is not going to rein in their own people. Is this another example of where Congress, i.e. the Republicans who have the majority in the House, 
have the purse strings, and they're going to have to use the budget levers to rein in this administration. So mechanically, we have the ability to do that, Tony, and, and we will. We are going to be putting forth the appropriations bills that actually uh, direct funding to programs that are, that are necessary, and we can and will use that to defund some of these other operations that have been so problematic to the people. But keep in mind, everyone says that the, the Congress has the purse strings, but it still has to go through the Senate and, and back to the White House as well. And so that's where the, the battle is going to take place. Uh, you know a lot of the folks that, that I've been working with on this whole debt ceiling issue, and we have identified somewhere between eight and $900 billion in additional uh, revenue that's available uh, to claw back from the federal government to turn over uh, to the Treasury so that we don't have to uh, increase the debt ceiling anytime in the near future. And we're going to release those numbers very soon here once we get yeah. everything finalized. And, and so that will put Congress in the position to then take that information, develop the appropriations package through August and September, and that's where we can put these policies into place about defunding some of these uh, uh, agencies that that are clearly just uh, pursuing American citizens. Well, reports like this, uh, Congressman Rosendale, back up everything that you're doing to hold this administration accountable. It's worth the fight. This is undermining our freedoms and our future. So we appreciate you fighting this fight. We are we are going to keep it up. Look, we have to have confidence in these institutions. The institutions are the glue that hold our country together. And, and right. so what we have to do is root out the bad weeds. All right. Thank you, Congressman. All right, folks, stick with us. We're coming back with more Washington Watch right after the break. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said, we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread, because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org slash Bible. First Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. The mission of FRC's online center for biblical worldview is to carry out that first by training Christians to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square, as now more than ever, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. The Center for Biblical Worldview provides amazing written resources for a wide range of relevant issues, including biblical stances on voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality. Each of these topics comes as a free downloadable PDF version, abbreviated version, and Spanish translation, along with a prayer guide. To access this written series or to sign up for the Center for Biblical Worldview's monthly newsletter, visit frc.org slash worldview.
Did you know that from as early as 12 weeks, and certainly by 20 weeks, an unborn child can feel pain? Did you know the issue of pornography is growing among women? Did you know that pornography, sex trafficking, and abortion are all linked and on the rise across the globe? Issues such as pornography, human trafficking, drug legalization, and abortion are all violations of human dignity and have resulted in the devaluation of human life in our culture. Family Research Council stands firm on the principle that every life has value, ought to be respected, and has been designed for a unique purpose. Educate yourself on the harms of pornography, human trafficking, and abortion so that you can offer hope and help. Learn more at frc.org forward slash life. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us. All right, two members of the Israeli legislature called the Knesset introduced a bill last week that would ban Christians from sharing the gospel. And the punishment would include prison time. Now, earlier today, All Israel News reported that Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu tweeted in both Hebrew and English, quote, we will not advance any law against the Christian community, end quote. That, of course, is good news. But what's behind this effort to criminalize Christians who are among Israel's strongest supporters? Join me now from Jerusalem. To discuss this and more, CBN Middle East Bureau Chief Chris Mitchell. Chris, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to be with you again, Tony. Now, I know uh, we had discussed this earlier in the week when, in, uh, when this news broke that this measure had been introduced in the Knesset, and I, I plan to discuss the concerns over the bill. But now it's kind of shifted a little bit with the prime minister announcing today that it will not be advanced. Walk us through what has happened. Well, the, the bill was uh, introduced last week, apparently, at the Knesset, or maybe even before that. Uh, it's, it was a preliminary bill, uh, or it wasn't, hadn't even gone to a first reading in the Knesset. Uh, this is a bill that had been introduced for many, many years, uh, actually about 20 years, uh, by uh, Moshe Gaffney uh, from the United Torah Judaism. Uh, it did uh, make it a little to try to persuade anybody uh, to change their religion. Uh, and that was the concern of uh, some in the evangelical community and, and here, Christian community here uh, in Israel, that that might be enacted only because uh, since it had been uh, introduced for many, many years with no results, uh, the issue for some was that it would, uh, because of the current coalition government, that maybe it would have some opportunity, some chance uh, to pass. But obviously, Prime Minister Netanyahu, who's a great friend of the evangelical community uh, is, uh, you know, made that comment, this tweet this afternoon to make sure that the, uh, there's no concern about this bill passing in this Knesset. And I kind of put uh, Benjamin Netanyahu in kind of a, a, a little bit of a political pickle because he needs this coalition, which there are some on in that coalition that uh, do not like uh, Christianity being promoted there in Israel. But at the same time, I think he understands how critical evangelical support is, especially from the United States, to Israel. Uh, he does. I mean, it did put him in a, an awkward position politically. Uh, the United Torah Judaism has seven seats uh, in, uh, in the coalition. Uh, they have 64 seats in total. 
So if they decided to uh, threaten to pull out of the government, uh, the government would collapse. They would put them under the 61-seat threshold. They would need to keep uh, the coalition government. Uh, on the other hand, he has been a great supporter of the evangelical uh, community. We were looking at a, uh, a, a quote earlier this year from 2012 where he said that, you know, it was Christian Zionism that really gave the rise to Jewish Zionism uh, and really helped lead to the establishment of the Jewish state. So uh, he, he, I, I feel, and what I have heard as well, is that United Toward Judaism, I think, pulled their uh, bill out as well, and they weren't going to pursue it uh, either. I think politically they would like to stay, uh, make sure that the coalition does survive, and, and they have many other issues I'm sure they want to pursue, uh, but this one is not going to be one right now. It's, it's pretty obvious that uh, the prime minister had uh, had conversations, I'm sure, with members of his coalition because he's pretty savvy when it comes to politics there. Uh, he's the prime minister with nine lives. He just uh, he keeps going there in Israel. But I, I want to ask you, uh, Chris Mitchell, about the broader understanding of this relationship with Christians, evangelicals in particular, and the importance that is to to Israel and to the Jewish people. How widespread is that, number one, recognized, and number two, appreciated? Well, I think among a, a large uh, amount of uh, Israeli society, it is recognized and appreciated. Uh, I know uh, Jewish people and organizations that work with Christians uh, highly value the uh, the relationship with the Christian community. Uh, in the 20-plus years that I've been here, uh, I've seen a great number of organizations that have uh, begun to work with, uh, with Christian organizations. I can think of the Jewish Agency. They have Christian friends of the Jewish Agency, Christian friends of Yad Vashem, Christian friends of Magen David Adom. So there's been a growing relationship between Christian organizations and the Christian community and, uh, and, and the state of Israel. Uh, most of the tourists that come from the United States here to Israel are evangelical Christians. And I think they recognize back, uh, and you remember the years of the Intifada back from 2003 to about 2004, it was a terror campaign by the Palestinian Authority and Yasser Arafat. The one group that kept coming during that time were evangelical Christians. Yeah. And I think many Israelis uh, and Jews recognize that even in dark times, that uh, the evangelical Christians are a great supporter uh, of the state of Israel. Yeah, I, I was there, spent a lot of time in uh, bomb shelters while I was there during that time. Uh, Chris, as the former chair of the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, I mean, I, I can attest to the fact that Israel has been one of the few places in the Middle East where basic human rights of religious freedom have been recognized. This would be a tremendous break with that and it'd be, a, I think, a huge setback for that region of the world if this were ever to advance. Yeah, that's right. We, we talked to an Israeli legal expert who said that it really goes against the values or the statements in Israel's declaration of independence uh, against freedom of religion, freedom of expression, uh, freedom of conscience. Uh, also, we talked to a good friend of yours, I know Ambassador Sam Brownback, who said that it really violates the U.N. Charter of Human Rights, uh, which Israel is a signatory to. Uh, so, and as you said, it really is, and he made the same point that you did, Tony. It really is a beacon of uh, freedom here in the, in the Middle East. It's surrounded by nations that are authoritarian or maybe totalitarian uh, and really is a beacon. The Christian community, by the way, is growing here in, uh, in Israel. Uh, unlike many, many of the countries around here where the Christians have been persecuted and sometimes driven out. But uh, Israel, uh, you know, stands 
as that beacon here in the Middle East uh, of freedom. Chris Mitchell, always great to see you. Thanks so much for taking time to uh, join us today. And we're going to continue to encourage our viewers and listeners to be praying for the peace of Jerusalem and uh, for believers there in the land of Israel. It's great to be with you, Tony. All right, Chris Mitchell, CBN News from Jerusalem. And I do want to encourage you folks to be praying for the peace of Jerusalem. And uh, we know where peace, true peace comes from. It comes from the Prince of Peace. So pray that Christians there continue to be able to live out their faith freely. All right, don't go away. When we come back, we have more Washington Watch coming up right after the break. So stick with us. More Washington Watch straight ahead. To a university student, do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. Watch. And I'm glad to have you with us on this Wednesday. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right. Uh, as I discussed yesterday in the program, President Biden issued his first veto this week, striking down a bipartisan bill that would put the fiduciary responsibility of financial managers of retirement accounts ahead of the woke agenda of the left. Now, of course, the backdrop, we're also seeing major banks kind of in troubled waters. Inflation continues to soar. But the president is focused on ESG investing. Now, today, as we mentioned uh, top of the program, the Federal Reserve continues to address inflation fueled by government spending. Today, they announced they're raising interest rates an additional 25 basis, basis points, which is a quarter of a percent. 
Now, how will this affect our economy and the banking system in the coming days? And how might this inform what Republicans do when it comes to budget negotiations and the debt ceiling? Joining me now to discuss this is Congressman Buddy Carter. He serves on the House Budget Committee and on the House Committee on Energy and Commerce. He represents Georgia's 1st Congressional District. Congressman Carter, welcome back to the program. Thank you for having me, Tony. So, Congressman, I'm going to jump right into this, Congressman. Um, How tone deaf is the president in the current economic landscape where people are having difficulty putting gas in their cars, concerned about their future, and he's focused on this left-wing agenda about ESG? Well, you're absolutely right. He just doesn't get it. I mean, he's more concerned about woke than he is about the workforce. I mean, let's face it. Now we've got 6% interest rates. Young people can't buy homes at 6% interest rates. I mean, you, you can't open up a new business with interest rates higher here than they are in China. And, and you know, we can't depend on Social Security. We don't know how much longer it's going to be there. And yet this president is completely tone deaf. He does not understand what's going on. I've been in the district the last the last week and a half. And I will tell you, people are concerned. People are hurting. This is real. And, it, it, and it's impacting them. The high interest rates and inflation, all of this in combination are really, really hurting people. So, Congressman Carter, today the Federal Reserve announcing another quarter of percent rate hike, uh, giving us, I think, the highest interest rates to, since uh, 2007. But they did say, you know, we're not going to talk about being aggressive because of what's happening with the banking system. Obviously, the, the uh, money supply kind of tightening. How, how do you see Congress going forward in this, in this situation when it comes to the upcoming debt ceiling, when it comes to budgeting? You know, some are saying, well, maybe the Republicans won't play uh, as hard-nosed on this because they don't want to rock the boat any further. Um, you just came out of an issues uh, a retreat. I'm sure this was discussed. What is the way forward, according to Republicans? Well, first of all, as far as the Fed in, increasing the interest rates, you know, they were between a rock and a hard place. I mean, they, they either had to, to show a lack of confidence in the banking system or they had to let go unchecked. Uh, you know, there was no case here. I wish they had not gone up on the interest rate, and I hope that they would slow down because we need to slow down. The interest rates are too high right now. I get it. I understand we need to get inflation under check. But the reason... The reason that we had the failure of the Silicon Valley Bank is is because of the policies of this administration, because uh, inflation is so high. Inflation is high, which has caused the the problems in the banking system right now. Now, granted, with the Silicon Valley Bank, I think that was an isolated incident. Uh, I don't think it's systemic. And the, the leadership of that bank needs to be held accountable, as does the San Francisco Federal Reserve. Where were they at? Why weren't they... Uh, paying attention. They were asleep at the wheel. This should have never happened in this case. But what are we going to do in Congress? Well, first of all, the debt ceiling is up next, and I can assure you we are going to demand, and we have to have a stop in this out-of-control spending. It's the out-of-control spending that has got us into the mess with inflation that we're into right now. There's been too much money out there, and that's what we're going to demand is that we control this spending by this administration. 
Yeah, and I'm sure you recall the president uh, last year saying that, uh, oh, this is this inflation, it's it's fleeting, it's short-lived, it's not going to last long. The president hasn't gotten it right on one economic issue. He's been wrong every time. Every time. That's why we in the Republican Party and the Republican majority in the House, we understand it's our responsibility to make sure that we get this ship straight that we, we get it back on course, and, and that's our economy. We've got to get it back on course. And the way you do that is to stop the out-of-control spending, and that's what we're going to demand in the debt ceiling negotiations. Let me ask you this question. I've talked to a few members this week coming out of the, the issues retreat. From your perspective, you're on one of the key kit committees here. How united are Republicans in fighting this battle when it comes to government spending? I think we're very united. I think everyone in our conference understands the importance of of, uh, of of controlling the spending. I think everyone understands the fact that this president has submitted a budget. Right now, the federal government is spending a dollar and twenty nine cent for every dollar in revenue that they take in. Under this president's proposed budget, that would increase to a dollar and thirty four cent for every dollar that we bring in. That's not sustainable. Right. I mean, you know, most members of Congress have business experience and they get it, they understand. You can't balance a, a, a home budget on that. People in America can't do that. Why right. is it the federal government thinks that they can do that? Extremely important point and a, and a question to ask the president and his party. Congressman Buddy Carter, always great to see you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Thank you. And folks, just to keep it in perspective, you know, prior to the pandemic, 2019, what we're seeing, according to the president in his proposed budget, is a 55 percent increase in government spending. It's incredible. It has to be stopped. All right. Coming up next, the Chinese president visits Russia. We're going to talk about it with Gordon Chang right after this. Don't go away. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742 and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. 
with just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. Text STAND to 67742. That's STAND to 67742. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. All right, we've, we were talking earlier with Chris Mitchell from Israel about the hostility toward Christians there. But how can we hold up a standard of religious freedom for the world to see when we have the we have the same thing happening here in our country and and we've talked consistently about the hostility toward churches and christian ministries that's on the rise all across america people of faith faith uh, face uh, censorship marginalization and even punishment being fired from jobs look make no mistake about it our faith is under fire here in the united states and so the question i have for you is will you join frc in advancing religious liberty and equipping believers to stand firm with confidence for biblical truth. Now, this week only, your gift, if you'll make a gift to help us do this, it will be tripled by the in its impact, up to $100,000, thanks to a special match put forward by generous friends of FRC and Washington Watch. So to make the most of this limited-time opportunity, please text the word FAITH, that's the word FAITH, to 67742. Text the word FAITH to 67742, and you have a link where you can stand with us in defense of faith here in the United States. Chinese President Xi Jinping traveled to Moscow for a three-day visit this week, meeting with Russian President Vladimir Putin before signing an agreement to expand economic ties between their countries. Now, the two leaders also emphasized their commitment to safeguarding their own energy security, Though their countries have been at odds in the past, the budding partnership between these two powers has been uh, warily watched by uh, Western countries. Uh, what conclusions can we draw from this alliance? Well, joining me now to discuss this is China expert Gordon Chang, author of The Coming Collapse of China and the Great U.S.-China Tech War. You can follow him on Twitter, at Gordon G. Chang. Gordon, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you so much, Tony. So your thoughts on the growing relationship between China and Russia. Can they really trust each other? 
No, they can't really trust each other, but at least for the moment, they are working very closely together. And although they may never have an enduring partnership, we don't really care what Moscow and Beijing are going to do in the 2050s or 2060s. Right now, they are upending the world order. Um, they're very clear about what they're saying. Xi Jinping, when he left Vladimir Putin a few hours ago, actually said that right now, the world is seeing changes that have not been witnessed for 100 years. And Xi Jinping also said that when China and Russia work together, they are driving events around the globe. So that's a quite arrogant statement, and it's very clear where this is going. Uh, the world is dividing into camps, and China and Russia are forming the core of a new axis. And that means looks like a new Cold War. So uh, what does this relation look like? I've been reading the various articles, people I examining the body language of the two leaders. And uh, it appears the, the consensus is that Xi Jinping is kind of the leader in this relationship. Putin, the younger brother, so to speak, uh, taking his cues from China. I mean, really, what does Russia have to bring to the table? They've shown themselves not to be the great military power that they had held themselves out to be. It appears, from my perspective, that China is really the, the, the puppet master in this. W what do you say? Yeah, that's, that's right. Um, China is by far the stronger of the two. But Vladimir Putin is willing to challenge the world in ways that Xi Jinping doesn't. And that means that Russia is, in a sense, driving that partnership uh, between the two of them. And that means that Xi Jinping has got to bail out Vladimir Putin from time to time, like about now. Um, so although Russia is the far weaker of the two, it is the one that is actually disturbing the world and forcing the Chinese to support them. What does that look like going forward? I mean, there's been a lot of pressure put on by the U.S. saying China, if they really want to help, they need to broker a peace deal by telling Russia to get out of Ukraine. Uh, warning them not to provide military support. Uh, w what do you think the future now looks like? Well, I'm a little bit pessimistic because although the Biden administration keeps on warning China not to provide lethal assistance, China, in fact, has been doing so. And it's been doing it from the first weeks of the war. Um, and recently, in the last couple of months, we've seen some very blatant transfers of weapons from China to Russia. So I think that Xi Jinping right now believes that President Biden is hollow and he doesn't respect the United States, which means that Xi Jinping is probably going to do things which are going to cause tragedy for a good portion of humankind. And right now, I think that we have to be prepared for the worst because the Chinese, um, you know, they're looking at the war in Ukraine, thinking the West is not very effective. And that's a big green light for Xi Jinping to engage in some provocation at the other end of the Eurasian landmass. Taiwan? Taiwan, Japan, Philippines, India, or maybe even the U.S. Remember, Tony, that there are these very dangerous intercepts of the U.S. Navy and the U.S. Air Force um, in the South China Sea and in China's peripheral waters. One of those intercepts could go terribly wrong, and we could suffer a loss of American life. We almost uh, lost uh, our EP-3, the U.S. Navy unarmed reconnaissance plane, in 2001. Um, the Australians almost lost a P-8 last year for, because of a dangerous Chinese intercepts. 
And there was a very dangerous intercept of a U.S. Air Force reconnaissance plane in December. Gordon Chang, uh, I want to thank you for joining us today. I know you've got to get to another interview, so I want to thank you for joining us. Always great to talk with you, and obviously we're going to be tracking this very, very closely in the days ahead. Thank you, Tony. Gordon Chang at Gordon G. Chang, if you want to follow him on Twitter. You know, I think this is an extremely interesting situation, one that, as, as Gordon summarized, I don't think the world really takes um, America serious. Uh, we don't take it seriously because the the leadership of this country. I mean, we're, we're going to be, in fact, we're going to talk about this with my next guest, General Jerry Boggins, will be joining us. We're going to talk about our military, and we've got some hearings coming up under Republican leadership in the House, and I think they're going to be probing very deeply on the priorities of our military. And when th the world is watching our military practice its pronouns as opposed to its proficiency on the battlefield, that sends a strong signal. Well, joining us now to continue our discussion on uh, Chinese President uh, Xi Jinping's visit to Moscow is our own Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin, retired after 36 and a half years in the United States Army. General, welcome back to the program. Hey, thank you. I'm glad to be back with you. General, I want to I play a clip uh, from John Kirby in a press conference yesterday where he was uh, talking about this relationship between Russia and China being a marriage of convenience. John Kirby is the White House National Security Council Strategic uh, Communications Director. Play clip number nine, please. I think you've seen over years now these two countries going, going, growing close together. Peter asked a question similar to that yesterday. Um, um, I wouldn't go so far to call it an alliance. Yesterday I called it a marriage of convenience because that's what I think it is. Is it America, a, a marriage of convenience or is it more? Well, I think it, it, it is both uh, a marriage of convenience, but also an advantageous situation for the, the Chinese. If you look at this situation realistically, Putin is a bully. Putin is a bully that went into uh, the Ukraine and is getting kicked around there pretty good. And his people are seeing it. The rest of the world is seeing it. And now what does he have to do? He has to bring in a bigger bully and get him to bail him out. That is not a situation that any world leader should want to be in. And I think that uh, given that the people in Russia are already disgusted with uh, Putin and, and the oligarchs are as well, and, and even his own military, uh, which has performed abysmally, is, is not happy at all with Putin and what uh, he's doing. They don't see a reason for it. Uh, I think that this situation uh, is going to work against uh, Putin. I'm going to go uh, back to something Gordon Chang made reference to, and it was as their meeting, uh, Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin, as they were ending their meeting earlier today, uh, the comment was caught that the Chinese president said to the Russian president, change is coming that hasn't happened in 100 years, and we are driving this change together. Uh, what are we to make of that comment? Well, I think that uh, Gordon also said, I think, that we're going back to a Cold War, and I think that uh, that's exactly what's happening, and we're going we're gonna to be back into uh, surrogate 
military operations. And, and I think that uh, there is no question that the Chinese want to dominate the whole world. They've made no bones about that. It's just like uh, the, the commitment they've made to take Taiwan. They're serious about it, and they've been very open about it. And I think that they're using China, I mean, using the uh, Russia as a way of getting to where they want to be geopolitically. And where they want to be is they want to be the big dog on the block. And we're the only thing, we, America, are the only thing that is preventing them from dominating the world. So with that in mind, you know, if you can think the way Xi Jinping would be thinking, what are the leverage points? What do they need to do in Ukraine to take advantage of that situation to 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 eclipse America on the world stage? Well, first of all, if she uh, was able to broker a negotiated settlement there, which I think is unlikely, but nonetheless, it's possible if he could broker a, a settlement there, uh, he would be. Uh, People, the whole world would be in awe of this guy, and it would be exactly where he wants to be. The other thing, though, is that uh, if, in fact, uh, we pull out, if, in fact, we stop supplying the, uh, the Ukraine with weapons and the materiel that they need to be victorious on the battlefield, and she was to come in and start providing more lethal aid to the, uh, to the Russians, uh, I think that would be a game changer as well in terms of Xi's status and position and reputation in the world. Does Taiwan factor into this equation? Yeah, Taiwan. I think Taiwan's on hold until till this is solved. I, I, I think that Xi is still watching this uh, largely because he doesn't really know what uh, he's going to encounter in, uh, in in Taiwan, because Taiwan is a very high-tech nation. Taiwan has some tricky waters off their shores. It makes amphibious landings very problematic. And he also uh, is not sure just how much uh, the U.S. military is going to commit to supporting the Taiwanese if, in fact, they're attacked by mainland China. So still questions in his mind as to... Uh the response of the United States. So as long as they keep him guessing, yeah. that will probably keep him uh, at bay. I, I want to go back to Russia, General Boykin, for just a moment, because the International Criminal Court has issued arrest warrants for uh, Vladimir Putin for war crimes, uh, as it involved snatching of thousands of children from Ukraine. Uh, he, uh, They've been dismissive of this, saying they don't recognize the court's jurisdiction and say it's legally null and void. You've been a part of going after war criminals and uh, in your time in the Army. Uh, how do you see this playing out? Yeah, first of all, we've got to be very careful because we the last thing we want to do is, is uh, put ourselves in a position that we're subordinate to this uh, this uh, criminal court that we have rejected for uh, for many years. In fact, I think the last time we openly rejected it was under George W. Bush. But uh, look, I, I'd love to see uh, him brought to, to justice. This guy is an evil, evil man. He's a beast, and he needs to be brought down, and he needs to be held accountable. But 
that is not as easy as uh, one might think, because he is in Russia. He's protected by the Russian uh, oligarchs at, at this point and also by the Russian military and the uh, Russian intel agencies. So getting to him would be a, a problem. But uh, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't continue uh, on the political front and the diplomatic front. We ought to continue calling him exactly what he is, which is a butcher, and, uh, and keep reminding the world that this man is responsible for atrocious war crimes. Mm-hmm. When you bomb hospitals where women are giving, child, uh, giving birth to children, or you bomb bread lines where people, men, women, and children are all standing in line to be fed, and, and you do that repeatedly. The first time you could claim it was an accident, but, but when you do it repeatedly, uh, you are a war criminal, and, and that's exactly what he is. And we need to do everything we can to hold him accountable, but not get ourselves in a situation where we've put ourselves under this criminal court that was created a few decades ago. Understood. Uh, General, we're out of time. We'll have to uh, continue our conversation because Pentagon leaders coming before the new Congress and pushing back on the charges that the military has gone woke. So we're going to want to talk about that in the days ahead. But for now, we're going to have to leave it there. General, always great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. And, folks, before we uh, close today's program, I, I, again, want to encourage you, if you want to stand with us as we stand for faith, family, and freedom, defending faith in America, text the word FAITH to 67742. That's FAITH to 67742. All right, until next time, I leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 